Come on, while you're clapping, let's give Jesus the loudest, craziest round of applause we've had all day long. Man, it's so good to be here. I wish I could look as cool as your pastor in a laid-back leather chair. The only thing missing was the cigar. I mean, that looked really good. He just didn't have it on camera. That's what happened. Uh, but I'm so glad to be here uh, at LifeHouse. Uh, Ryan has been such a good friend to me, and it's an honor to be here at this church. Uh, it's a beautiful place. And you guys have served as a big brother to, to guys like us that are three to four years in and are trying to figure out what to do. And you know, our church is like in that awkward teenager phase where we kind of stink and we think we know what we're doing. And it just, we, we need people like you guys alongside us to help us think a little bit. And you guys have helped us out a ton and you didn't even know it, but your pastor has been right behind us the entire time. Just a few years ago, I reached out to Ryan and through some mutual contacts and we, it was just like a cold call. It was like, hey, uh, have you had coffee with somebody recently? He's like, what? Who are you? And I was like, well, I'll buy it if you show up. And he showed up. Uh, and that's how we began our friendship. And so uh, it has been incredible. And he's been there. He's one of the guys that he, he picks up the phone when you call. And he goes beyond the I'll pray for you. He goes beyond all of that. And when he says he's in your corner, he's really in your corner, uh, checking on you, making sure you're okay. And, and he and, and he remembers my wife's name, which is Kelly, so hopefully he'd remember that. <laughs> but uh, but I'm, I'm so blessed and honored to have friends like Ryan in ministry, and not only in ministry, but in the same town, uh, guys that are, that are reaching across highways and aisles and all kinds of stuff to just take care of each other, because if the pastor's healthy, the church will get healthy. And so you guys have a pastor who, who makes sure that he is staying on top of his game and he's really letting us know when he's feeling down and we take care of him. It's just incredible to see the openness and the honesty there. We're in a series right now called Let Your Life Speak, and I'm honored to be involved in that series. And many folks go through life not knowing why they're here. In fact, surveyed nine out of 10 active Christian church tenders in the United States when surveyed said they don't know what their purpose is. And to me, that is a tragedy. And I believe it's actually part of the devil's agenda to make sure you never find out. And I love that you guys are doing a series right now about letting your life speak and plans and purpose. And I think it's beautiful because there's two greatest days in, in your life. And it's the day you were born, which was a great day. It's the day, the day you were born and the day you find out why you were born. And those two days are important, wildly important to you. And I hope that today I can help, us, help lead us in that second question a little bit. Last week, Pastor Ryan talked about Jesus in Matthew chapter four, about the fortitude, the stick to and, 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 and his purpose, how he lived that out and how it kept him focused and kept him directed. And how many you know Jesus had a lot of stuff come at him to try to throw him off course? Even in the middle of the Passion Week, in the middle of the crucifixion, he stayed on course, even running an altar call while nailed to a cross. I mean, there was, he was stayed on course. What was going around him did not deter him, and he continued to tell the stories that brought us life and led people through their worst times while he was going through his. It was incredible to see how that happened, and it was all a matter of perspective. The things that happened to Jesus, the betrayals, everything that happened to him, God had to come down in flesh to go through what you and I would go through to show that it is possible to live life for God while experiencing that temptation and pain. And you and I can learn a lot from what Pastor Ryan shared last week when he brilliantly challenged us to examine our lives in regard to imbalance. If you missed last week, please go to your website and look at it because it's a very powerful thing. I sat and listened and, and, and watched Ryan preach that and I took notes as if I sat here with you. And it challenged me, and I've got them written down in my notebook uh, that, that I was reading through some things. And when, and when Pastor Ryan came and sat right here, right in this moment, because I was watching on the camera, he was sitting right here. When he came and sat down right here, and you guys went through that introspection moment. And I was very, very excited about that because in church life and as a pastor, you, you guys may not know what this feels like, but you're constantly trying to make church services appealing and slick enough and exciting enough so your, 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 your whistle's wet and you go home wanting more. But it's, churches are kind of, pastors are kind of tired of doing that and, and we're out of ideas. So what I was really glad that Ryan did was that he actually had you look inside, do one of the most awkward things you might have ever done in a church service and experience a quiet room. And I love that he did that. 
Because I, I sat there in that coffee shop and over by my house in Cibolo and just sat there and, and, and let that ruminate and, and let it touch me. And I began to identify some imbalances in my life. And the three he talked about were our healthy or unhealthy appetites. What are we feeding ourselves? If you eat a bunch of Taco Bell, you want more Taco Bell. It's just you, you get, we get excited about our bodies want more of that trash. And it just it continues to fill us up and makes us worse. And, and what do, do we actually crave approval from other people? Or are we looking for approval from the only one who can give you healthy approval? And that is God himself. Because you are sons and daughters of God. You're not dearly disgusted. You're dearly beloved. He wants you and he wants to know you. So it's important that we know that. And then he asked us to examine our motivations. And this is the one I wish he hadn't said because I was convicted. So thanks, Ryan. He asked us to talk about our ambitions. He asked us to look at what is really driving me? Why do I really want to serve in the local church? Why, why do I really want to lead people? And, that, and I was looking at myself in that regard. And as he led us through that exercise, what are your motivations? What drives you to the top at your job? What drives you in your marriage? What drives you in your parenting? And ambition on, it, on, on its own merit is not a bad thing. I'd love for you to have ambition or you won't go anywhere. But when it's out of balance, Things get, things, things get wonky. Do we say that in San Antonio or is that a West Texas thing? <laughs> things get wonky, all right? They just, they just don't work. And he led us to this question, what are the signs? What are the signs? What do we need to look at? What are the derailments? How, what has this imbalance caused in your life? And how are those imbalances causing you to not live your life out loud? Because all of us in this room, we're made on purpose for a purpose to do something for the Lord. Doing something for the Lord is not becoming a pastor. And actually, if when we read the Bible in context, pastors aren't allowed biblically to do ministry. It's actually spiritually illegal for us to do it. We have to train you how to do it. And the Bible's very clear about that. And it's very interesting that the church has gone, gotten a little bit slow in equipping the saints because um, we want our ears tickled and we want the programs and we need people to entertain us. But I believe that the church is changing its tune. And I believe that there are people who really want their lives to be different. And I believe that a lot of you in this room are at this church for a reason. You want your life to speak. You're not here just to receive a program. You're not here just for someone to entertain you. You're not here uh, to, to, have, to have Ryan tickle your ears. You're not here just for the great music. You're here because God led you here, because you're made on purpose for a purpose. God sent you to an equipping center, everybody. Isn't that good news? He sent you here so you can be mobilized. The louder you are, the shorter I preach. Just letting you know that. I can let you out before the Baptist or after. That's up to you. Today, I'm going to do my best to stand on the shoulders of your pastor's incredible message last week with a message entitled, Mind Your Own Business. And we're going to, it's going to make a lot more sense in here in just a minute. Would you pray with me? God, would you open up our hearts and minds? In fact, put your hand over your heart right now. God, would you open up our hearts and minds today? God, would it come right to, 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 to our, our thinking center, our emotions, our mind? God, would it change us from the inside out? And God, would the words I say not be mine would Landon not be speaking today, but would the Holy Spirit take these words and would it change us all individually in Jesus' name? And everybody said a big, loud amen. amen. Now, a great American theologian, you may have heard of him before, Hank Williams said this, <laughs> if you mind your own business, you'll stay busy all the time. Anybody know that song? I couldn't agree more with Prophet Williams. I think it's really important that you and I understand that we've got a lot of business to mind. There's a lot going on, and I'm going, to make the, I'm going to make the statement today that the business we are to mind is our actual mind. And what I want to share with you today is that what's going on in our minds actually affects whether we are effective and bought into the kingdom's agenda or not, and our, what happens inside. So when I read Scripture, I read that our minds are on God's mind quite a bit, that he talks about that a lot. And I want to highlight a battle that goes on within us, because I believe this, that nothing distracts people from their purpose and their destiny more than what goes on in their minds. It's a battle of the mind. Well, Landon, what about my heart? I need to know. What about my heart? I'm a feeler. I need to know what's in my heart. I want to clear up a cultural misappropriation today, if I may. There's a phrase that you and I have heard quite a bit that, that 
people like Oprah have made very famous, and it's follow your heart. Raise your hand if you've ever heard. Just follow your heart. And, and so Dwight Schrute has told us that that's not true because it's actually false that you and I are not to follow our heart because it's deceitful and wicked. And he's absolutely right. Who knew Dwight was a Christian, much less a four-square Christian? Here's what he says in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who even knows what this thing's all about? That's the Land and International Version. What is going on here? What is going on? So the heart, follow you heart, it's actually not good advice. It's not good advice. Here's what I know. Landon's heart can feel very strong about things that are very wrong. So my heart is going to lead me wrong all of the time. And, and I, can, I can actually write a timeline of my life, and we can talk about all of the times where my heart has got me into a lot of trouble and a lot of debt. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. I need that F-250. I need it. My heart needs the truck. It does not because I don't even have a farm, so it's a stupid purchase. Our heart can feel very strong about things that are wrong. What's interesting about this is you and I were taught to follow our heart. And maybe even a good Christian who actually had your best interest at heart told you to follow your heart, but they were wrong. And it was interesting, it's interesting how I just love, it's interesting how the devil just loves that that we get to say that all the time, and he doesn't even have to mess with us very much because it leads us down a pretty different road in our lives. I want to differentiate for us today the difference between the heart and the mind and how the devil goes for both. We are to guard our heart biblically. It says guard our heart, not follow it. We are to guard our heart. It is important, but we ought not follow it. Our heart feels, our mind directs. Here's what the Bible says, Romans 8. For those who live according to the flesh, set there, say it out loud, Minds. Say minds. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit live of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor intends or indeed needs to be. Romans 12, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Colossians 3, set your on things above. Do we get it? I mean, it's a big deal. It doesn't say let your heart lead you here. It doesn't say let your heart be restored. It doesn't say anything. It says set your mind. It seems that God's word is showing us that it is our decision, even unto salvation. Out of, out of his kindness, he draws us to salvation, but the choice is ours to receive it or not. He leads us to the to salvation, but whether we get saved or not is up to us. In the same way, he leads us to sanctification, which is the process after salvation in which you become more and more like God all the way up until the day you die. You're continually being made more like God. So you can come to Jesus, sit in church, serve on the dream team, and never grow. It's your decision to take what's shared and be responsible for it and let it change who you are. In the same way, it's about our mind. We are in charge of our minds. The whole devil-made-me-do-it thing is not real either. We are in charge of our minds. Our minds need renewed. And allow me to share something with you that really helped me see this. When I got this in my spirit, it changed everything for me. I'm going to show you. We're going to kind of go to Bible college just for a second. So you and I are triune beings. You notice we are, we are made out of three. We're made out of three things, spirit, soul, and body. So we have a spirit that's got to be redeemed. We have a soul that's got to be restored and a body that has to surrender to the spirit. The soul we're going to focus on a little bit more today is three parts. The soul encompasses our mind, our will, and our emotions. The mind thinks and reasons. The will makes choices and our emotions believe and feel. And man, don't our emotions remember everything. You ever had a fight with your spouse? She remembers everything. And so there's our mind, our will, and our emotions. Now here's the kicker. Do you see how the Spirit envelops all of it, if it's in right order? The soul envelops the body, if it's in right order. The body, though, is, is subservient to the other two. Now this, I can tell when, when we're in 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church, 
And, and we had so many people at our church doing this this, this January. And man, we were telling uh, Captain Stomach and Mr. Body to take a hike because we were hearing from God. And I've never wanted chicken fried steak more in my life than this January. But in order for the body, in order for the spirit to be allowed, the body and the soul have to come down. Now, our spirit man is what's connected to God. Our spirit man is what gets redeemed. Well, then I thought God saves my soul. He does. That's called sanctification. Our spirit man gets connected to God, and thus we are saved. Our soul, our mind, will, and emotions, how many of you know you can be going to heaven but living like hell? Our soul needs redeemed. Our soul needs restored. So when you walk out of this room today, if you get saved today at the end of this message and you receive Jesus, you're not walking out of here thinking clear. All of a sudden, all your emotional problems are gone. No, your same crazy uncle is still waiting on you out of this church and your emotions are still tied to his behavior. You've still got to deal with all the mess. But now that your spirit man can hear from God, you're no longer having these moments where I can't hear God. He never talks to me. I'll just make my own choices. I love how this changed my perspective, I hope it did for you too. So I know that for in order for us to have our life speak out loud, we have to have a biblical approach to the mind. And you needed to know where it was in. So for our lives to speak, our minds have to be renewed. We've got to start that process of renewal. It changes everything. Because nothing distracts people more from their destiny than their mind. What the battle that's going, the racing thoughts all of those things that you feel like you can't control. As I, as I read through the Bible, there's a word that comes up a lot, and it's the word repentance. And you and I have probably got a cultural view of the word repentance based on if you heard a TV preacher say it or your grandma told you or what kind of church you were raised in or if you weren't raised in church at all, we've all heard the word repentance. And I need to clear up for us today what that word biblically actually means. And you probably already know because Ryan's a great communicator, but I wanted to share with you the Greek word metanoia, the biblical word for repentance. And so it's a Greek compound word which means change the way you think. It, depending on how you were raised or, or what you believe about this word, you might think that repent means turn or burn. You know, you're all gonna die if you don't stop sinning. And so we live our lives going, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. How many of you know that doesn't work? By focusing on the sin, does that ever help you take your eyes off the sin? It doesn't work. Like remove Jesus from the equation. That's just bad practice at all. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not good to do that. What's actually interesting is that a lot of life coaches now are teaching to focus on your strengths, not try to build your weaknesses. You and I were all built a certain way. We were all hardwired by God a certain way. According to manufacturer specifications, you and I are meant to do something specific. And we need to learn how to change the way we think because here's what I know. I believe you and I are more focused on our sin than God is. And you and I have, I have a, let it mess us up for too long. And here's how I know that's true because we keep going back to the same sin over and over. Because our heart, our heart is feeling a certain way when we're here, and you're like, man, I'm gonna take the hill. Come on, Ryan, preach it, brother, you're ready. You leave the room, you're excited, you're ready to charge hell with a water pistol, and then you get to work on Monday, and your boss is still alive, and everything goes to pot. <laughs> so you're wondering, why do I feel like hell again? Because hell's still in there. You still have hell in there. And so we say at our church a lot, Livingstone Church is not just designed to get you to heaven, it's designed to get the hell out of you. That there's a lot of hell in there and it needs to come out because the Israelites left, left Egypt, but Egypt was still inside the Israelites. We see it all throughout the Bible. But you and I have got to change the way we think. This, I'm, not, I'm not making a case for you to change your heart. I believe your heart is probably really enjoying being here today and you, you're wanting to leave inspired and and you, you, know, you beat the clock, you, know, you got here, you made it to church. And for those of y'all watching, we love you too. Um, <laughs> kind of jealous you're in your, your pajamas right now. But, it's, but you and I, we've got something to do for the Lord. We have to change the way we think. True repentance begins with, the, everyone say, mind. So we need to mind our own business by dealing with the business of the mind. So now that we know that the actual business is the mind itself, I want to adamantly assert that you and I are in a battle, that you and I are in a war. Landon, really, a battle, a war, I mean, that's kind of that's harsh 
language, Landon. I mean, it seems, it seems a little over the top. Don't you think that that's a little too far? I mean, a war, like all-out war. And, and I, I hear you, and I used to say the same thing until I got the realization that whether I want to believe it or not, I am in a war. And it doesn't help me to pretend that I'm not. And you might feel that it's hostile, extreme, forceful, aggressive. Landon, I'm a lover, not a fighter. We, you, you know, y'all may go to war at Livingstone, but we hug at Lifehouse. I don't know. I mean, you might be feeling all kinds of things. But what I'm telling you today is you're in a battle. You are in a battle. Not with your spouse. Quit nudging them. You are in a battle somewhere else with someone else. And I believe that life is not a playground. Life is a battleground. And how you see a thing determines how you treat a thing. And if we see life casually, it will be casual for us. If we see church as this casual thing I go to to check a box, it will, you will never feel what God's intended for you to feel. You will, you will never find the fulfillment. You'll never feel it. And you and I are really good at coming up with reasons not to be here. And I'm, I'm, I'm asserting to you today that I'm really glad Jesus didn't halfway die for me. I'm glad he all the way died for me. But because you and I live in affluent Texas and affluent United States, we have a hard time really understanding sacrifice at its top level. And I want to tell you today that our lives are a battleground. And we see a number of different areas in the Bible that show that if we can see life this way and we can begin to understand how our mind plays into this, then our lives can begin to speak because we know the rules of engagement. It changes everything. So there are three enemies to your purpose. Write this down if you're taking notes. Write it down if you're not taking notes because thou shalt uh, do that. Anyway, it's the, the first one is the devil. The devil is the first form of conflict. Now, I, wanna, I don't want to talk about him as more than he needs to be spoken about today but he is, and he is actively trying to destroy your purpose. And remember how I said how you see a thing determines how you treat a thing. And how, how you see your wife determines how you treat your wife. How you see your husband determines how you treat your husband. If you see him as a bozo, you're going to treat him as a bozo. And then thus more bozo you begat. It just takes, it takes time. But I will tell you this. If you don't see the devil as he needs to be seen, You'll dance with him as like someone you don't like very well, but he can just kind of stay back on the other side of the room. You don't see him as an enemy. We see him as just a kid we don't want to play with. But he is actually trying to destroy your soul and take you out. The, the word for devil in the Greek is where Spanish gets its word diablo. And it's a Greek compound word also of dia and balo. Dia is where we get the word diameter, which means right through the middle. And balo is where we get the word ballistic missile. So the word devil actually means he wants to come in between you and your marriage, in between you and Pastor Ryan, in between you and your small group leader, in between you and your boss, in between you and your kids. He's trying to do everything he can to weasel his way into the middle and then boom, just explode it all. And then walk off going, man, that felt good. So think back through the relationships in which it's been allowed to explode and find out where it went wrong, and not to point blame, but to find out where did the devil get my thinking off to where I cast blame to where it exploded. And allow yourself to introspect without blaming and shaming yourself. It'll shine a whole new light. So the devil's job is just to come in and mess things, mess things up and blow things up. The second source of conflict is the world. I'm not talking about planet Earth. I'm talking about a mindset. The world's mindset is just, is just this, a mindset that sets itself above God's word and God's rule. And you and I might have a little bit of a difficulty understanding kingship and lordship. You know, in a democratic republic like the United States, we have a hard time understanding that because we elect people. If we don't like them, we unelect them or we impeach them. We just, we just deal with it. Wreck shop, drain the swamp. It's what we want to do. But here's the problem. That doesn't work in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus is a king. You didn't elect him, you can't impeach him. He's the king. And the only proper response to a king is a bowed knee. But you and I are kind of like this. You ever done, you ever watch someone do lunges at the gym for the first time and they're like, you know, this is just, that's how you and I live. We're like, we're unstable, we're shaky. We're trying to, but we're not all the way there. And then we give up. 
And we don't, I wonder if you and I have a completely bowed, a completely bowed perspective to the king. Or when he walks into the room, our agenda dies so his can live. Or do we ask God to bless our disobedience and then get angry when he doesn't? I get to leave here. Ryan has to clean this up next week. But I want you guys to know there is so much more you could be doing for the Lord with a bowed posture. And the world does not want you to do that. All the way back to the Garden of Eden, all the way back to the first sin ever recorded, the devil was trying to set himself above God. It's a mindset that God is on my checklist. God is not the top. So if church has become a checklist to you after Lake Day and baseball season, I wonder if, do we want our children loving Little League or loving Jesus at 18? What do we want our kids to love? Your kid's not going pro. So what do you want them to love? <laughs> You're here all, I'm here all, well, for the next 20 seconds, I'm here. <laughs> the third thing, the third enemy is ourselves. We are the enemy. Our fleshly nature inside of you. There's this old nature that's in charge. And even though our spirit's been redeemed, there's this old guy that runs the soul. He's been in charge of the emotions a long time. It's hard to evict the guy. It's hard to find the new you when sometimes you feel and think like the old you. Like you know you love Jesus and you know God sent you to Lifehouse and you know you're supposed to make a difference with your life, but sometimes you just feel so dirty and so messed up, you just stop. And for some of you, it was, it was hard enough for you to even get here today because of the shame and the condemnation you've heaped upon yourself and you're sitting here thinking, Lana, if you really knew how many times I've wanted to kill myself, you, would, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't even deal with me. You, you wouldn't even think about helping me find my purpose. I don't have a purpose. My purpose today is to stay alive. Can I tell you one thing? The devil wants you to think that, and God is not offended by those thoughts. He wants to redeem them all and take care of you from the inside out. Last time I checked, Jesus, clean, Jesus catches his fish before he cleans them, gets them in the boat first. So if you feel a little bit messed up, welcome to Lifehouse Church, all right? This is just people. It's regular folks learning how to become more like God. But the whole thing is the battle is in us. The battle is in ourselves. I believe today that we are the greatest enemy we face, that the devil doesn't actually have to try very hard to throw us off track. All he has to do is get us to hate ourselves or get us to say should, 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 should. And, and, we, and we, we think through, oh, I should have done this, or I should have said that. And, 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 and we, we live our lives based on all these what ifs and all that. And it's just shame. And the last time I remember reading Psalm 119, it said, said the word unashamed dozens of times. If you stay connected to God, thou shalt be unashamed. So I'm gonna say to you, shame off you in Jesus' name, not shame on you. If you ever feel that way, it's never God. Our tendency, though, is towards self-sabotage. And if I can be very vulnerable and honest with you for a minute, Landon is his own worst enemy. And you might think that Sundays are like a great day for a preacher, but we all usually go home and just go, why did I say that? That is every Sunday. In fact, I've actually texted Ryan some things I've said, and he went, really, why? It's like, stop, man, I'm trying to get help here. <laughs> it's just, it's, so sometimes the devil comes right at, right at you when you're tired and you're weak. And he makes sure that you know you're not good enough. He makes sure that you remember all of the things you said and did. He'll make sure you remember. I want to tell you this story. It's a crazy thing. In the fall of 2018, you might have actually heard about this. I saw it on the news the first time. There was this elaborate prank with an artist named Banksy. And he painted this painting called The Girl with a Balloon. And it was this black and white painting. She was holding a balloon. It was a red balloon. And it was, you know, it was a pretty good-sized painting and an elaborate, expensive frame, not like a 50% off Hobby Lobby frame that week, like a big, fancy, elaborate frame. And, and it was hanging in Sotheby's in, in the UK. And it got to where he, he, he built it, though, differently because Banksy was a little offended uh, that the art world was using art to make money because art should just be appreciated, not auctioned off like cattle. His words, not mine. So he decided to do something about it, so he thought. He came up with this whole grand scheme, and he painted the girl with the balloon, and he built a frame. Inside the frame, he built a paper shredder. 
and he built it to where when, they, when it finally made it to auction, it would hang on the wall at an auction house, ended up being Sotheby's, one of the, Lord's, one of the world's largest art auctions hanging up there in the UK, and when they said, sold for $1.4 million to the gentleman in the back, 1.4 million US dollars, it activated the shredder and the pages, the the painting began to go through the bottom of the frame and shredded the painting two-thirds of the way down. I thought it would be better for you to see raw footage of how this all happened, so I actually found some iPhone video of someone who was there who documented the entire ridiculous event. So take a look at how this actually went down. I like that they added the beep in there like a truck backing up. <laughs> Security guards are rushing the painting out as if to protect it from people. But what they didn't know is that they needed to protect the painting from the actual painting itself. This obviously changed a lot of policies and procedures for Sotheby's for how they get art brought to them and how they check every frame. But that changed everything from then on. What's interesting about this is the painting was meant to self-destruct. It looked beautiful hanging on the wall. The house was well manicured. You have two, two cars sitting out front. You got, you got three kids, one and a half dogs, the white picket fence, a beautiful lawn. You've got everything that you need, but inside your marriage is a complete wreck. You're in more debt than you can imagine because you've tried to keep up with the guy three doors down who you can't catch up to. And you know logically it's ridiculous that you do that, but there's something in your soul that makes you go do that. So you know you're connected to God, but our soul is not redeemed yet. Our soul is being transformed. We've got things inside of us that are causing us to self-destruct. The greatest threat was inside the frame. Its own self-sabotage unit was built in. And, And I think like that painting, you and I are getting in our own way. And in a world where in a world where it's all about treat yourself, treat yourself. I think you and I are actually pretty good at treating ourselves poorly. And if we could all play what was going on in your mind, I believe we'd all be able to say, I felt like that before. There's a great deal on your mind. I don't know what your war is or what your wars are. Anxiety, moodiness, panic attacks, suicidal thoughts, or numbing agents where you overeat, overspend, drugs, alcohol, or even the one that has actually been shown to cause more brain chemical dependence than heroin is social media. And you and I wake up every day and the first thing you check is your phone. You wake up, you sleep with it next to you. Your 11-year-old has one and we've given them access to the devil's playground all day long. And teenagers will hate me for saying that, but do not give your children to the devil because they need to look cool with their friends. Something's got to shift in our homes. We have, but my kid, I need to get a hold of my kid. They don't want to talk to you. They'll find a way to call you. They really want to call you. They don't want mama texting them. Your children need you to protect them. There's something about our minds that have shifted, and we're just giving our homes and our children and our churches over to a bad thought process and bad thinking, and we're wondering why it's not working for us. We have to change our mind because you and I are really good at doing things that aren't good for us. And we're really great experts at entertaining thoughts that are profoundly detrimental to our purpose in life. I love history, I love American history. I was not the kind of guy in school that loved math or science. And I I knew I was gonna be a pastor when I was 16, so I just checked out of math after that. And I was like, no, I don't need that. I'll just pass. And I was just, I just barely made it through. But I always loved history. I always loved how, what if this, what if she hadn't said that? 
What if, what if they hadn't said that in, in 1418? How would that have affected? It would have, and the, the domino, I was just fascinated by the domino effects of culture and, and the words and the language that create culture and the things going on at the time that help create and form people. And so I wanted to bring someone to your attention that is gonna be very helpful for us to understand the mind, and it's Teddy Roosevelt. You and I, you and I know he's, in a, great, he's a great American president. The first, here's a few crazy thoughts about him, just for fun. He was the first American president submerged in a submarine. The more you know, now you know. The first president to own a car. The first president to have a telephone. And the first president to entertain an African-American in the White House. That was Booker T. Washington. He was the first American and the first president to receive the Nobel Prize. And he was the first president to receive the Medal of Honor. And he received that after his death based on his involvement in the Spanish-American War. But before he went to war, he experienced loss unlike you and I have probably ever felt. On the same day, in the same house, both his wife and his mother died. And he didn't know how to handle that loss. So he did what was culturally appropriate, and he dressed in complete black for a week, and then you were told not to talk about it again. How many of you can say, praise the Lord, we've gotten healthier with emotional health in America, and how to understand grieving. So, in, so what he did is he wore black for a week, and then he moved to South Dakota and became a rancher. And even his journals begin to tell everybody that he was fist fighting mountain lions and getting people off, get, fighting marauders off his herds. And, 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 the, and it was incredible to see just the chutzpah this guy had. Eventually, he was uh, taken to the Spanish-American War. It was time for him to go to war. And I've got an image for you of what he looked like that day. And this is, this is a moment when, this is what he looked like when the Roosevelt Rough Riders began to charge the hill. And Teddy Roosevelt, the leader of this cavalry, journals and describes a moment in which he committed to the action before him. He found himself lying on the ground, however he got there, and he was laid across barbed wire, piercing into his skin. As he laid across this line in pain, he had a, he had a decision. At that moment, he was either going to stand up and go heal his wounds and disappear from action, or he was going to, to stand up, let his body hopefully clot all the bleeding, and take the hill. When he made that decision, he jumped up off that barbed wire, and other men's journals began to say Roosevelt fought like a man possessed that day. They obviously took San Juan Hill, and Teddy Roosevelt writes in his final writings that it was the greatest day he ever lived. Because he felt, in his own words, I felt a wolf rise up in my heart. I believe you and I are posed with the same thing today. Some of you, your lives are laid bare across something that's very painful. And what you're wanting to do is retreat and go, and retreat from church, like leave church. As a pastor, the one thing I've heard the most is, I just need some me time. Which is code for, I don't want to do this, it's too hard. I don't want to do this Jesus thing, it's harder than I thought. Just tell me seven ways to smile better. I don't need this whole sanctification mess. And so we're like, I just need some me time. So me and my family are going to the lake three out of four weekends a month. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna back out of small groups. I'm not gonna serve for a while. And you find yourself backtracking and you look up 12 months later and we blame the church for how our lives have become when we had the, mo the decision to stand up through the pain and fight for our family and fight for our marriage and fight to stay connected. There's something about us, though, that wants to back off, but when we want to back off, we fight like a man possessed. I believe that the Bible says in 2 Peter that you have everything within you to live a godly life, that we've received all of this by coming to know him. We've got everything we need for a godly life, everything we need to fight, everything we need. And, and you and I are waiting on God to do more for us, and he's like, I've already done it, but I've made it available to you. Just take it. So here's the sermon in a sentence. You can change your life by changing the way you think. Everything flows out of that. Everything flows out of our thinking. Our decision to allow our minds to be renewed is ours to make. Our legacy is determined by the outcome of the battle in the mind. The decision to let your life speak is determined by the battle in the mind. So many of our struggles come from our thoughts that create feelings that we entertain to a large degree and we hold the reins to our emotional health by what we allow to ruminate in our minds. And it affects living our purpose out. If you feel like you're broken, you won't serve as someone who's been redeemed. If you, if you feel like you can't do it, you won't fight like you can. 
It's a, it's a mindset thing. And how you fight your inner war determines how you fight your external battles. How you, how you stick together in your marriage or how you, how you, fight, how you fight for your children, how, how you fight for your connection to God. Like, I'm not going to let the devil do this to my family. You and I have allowed too long for the devil to come in and wreck shop in our homes. When God has redeemed us, he's going to redeem our home. we got to fight for this stuff. It changes our mind when we call it what it is. So fight for your kids. Fight those internal battles. And the great American theologian, Kung Fu Panda, said it this way. Before battle of fist must come battle of mind. It's absolutely true, Panda. You and I have a battle in our minds. So here's the first takeaway as we land the plane on this today. Negative thoughts cannot lead to a positive life, ever. Wrong thinking will never live, lead, lead to a life lived rightly. Even remember when Jesus was talking to Peter. One day, Jesus is calling Peter the rock of the church. Upon this rock, I will build. You are the man, Peter. Cock-a-doodle-doo, 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 but you're the man. You're gonna deny me three times, but you're the man. I'm gonna build a church on you. I'm gonna, and then on another day, Peter is then coming against what Jesus is saying, and he turns around and he says, get behind me, Satan. Rock of the church, Satan. Rock of the church, Satan. How Peter needed a counselor. What am I? What Jesus was doing was calling out the thinking. He was calling out the thought processes. When the, when the spike nerd oil was poured all over the feet of Jesus and his disciples were like, what are you doing? Sell that and give the money to the poor. Jesus is like, you don't even know what you're talking about, man. Because what Jesus had wasn't a bunch of theologians. He had a bunch of cussing fishermen called disciples. They were barely saved, much less thinking clear. And so he's trying to help them see, man, you don't know, just watch her do this. There's a bigger lesson in it. Our thinking has to become like him. So our negative thoughts can't lead to a positive life, much less life transformation. Our, where our thinking goes, our body goes. And if this isn't mind over matter, but what goes in in our mind does matter. And it's a, it's a big deal. The level of peace and serenity in our homes, our workplaces, our jobs, our schoolwork. There's a level of peace there that might be missing from your life. And I'm wondering if you're trying to do all of the churchy things, but the internal dialogue hasn't changed, so you still feel like you're coming up short. To let your life speak, it requires transformation of the mind. Isaiah 26 says, you will keep him in perfect peace. Wouldn't you like some of that in your home, in your marriage, in your life? Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And I wonder if I sent a mic around the room and asked you, do you trust God with your happiness? If we would really be able to say yes to that question or not. Do I trust God to bring the right people into my life? Do I trust God to make me feel significant without needing all the likes on Zuckerberg's world? What do I need? Do I need people to double tap my photo for me to feel like my day at the park with the kids was real? Or do my children think I have a black rectangle for a face because I just need everyone to see me be a good mom? I need everyone to see me be a good dad because it doesn't count if it's not on the gram. Because you and I are unwhole in here. You and I need other people's validation because we've undersold the meaning of the soul and we've not taken care of our soul. We've gone to the gym for our body. We'll come to church to stay out of hell. But the soul has got to be redeemed. And there's something about this that changes if we let our life speak or not. And no one wakes up in the morning and says, man, I want to have a bad day, honey. I cannot wait to have a bad day today. If you do that, there's another level. We'll talk after. But there, no, one, no one wakes up. But here's what we do, though. We wake up, and the thoughts that create that day are allowed to pay rent in our mind and rob us blind of our peace in the day. And then it thus leads to decisions that are contrary to our purpose being lived out in life. Because you and I are just trying to survive, much less live out a purpose in life. God has sent you to a church where this church believes in mobilizing the saints for the effectiveness of the growth of the kingdom and your growth as a Christian. So moms, dads, husbands, wives, teenagers, kids, everyone in the room, listen to this. 
You were meant to make a difference. Whether you feel like that or not, you were meant to make a difference. And here's what I know about a Christian life. If we do everything we feel, we'll never move forward. Choices are first, and then feelings follow. You're not gonna wake up every day wanting to be married to him. Not gonna wake up every day going, honey, just talk to me again so I can smell that breath. Your breath is like the oil of God. No one, not even on their honeymoon does that happen. Nobody says that. Some days you wake up and you've made a choice and a covenant to stay married. And you may not like the guy that day, but you sure love him. And you're going to work it out because God's there. You and I make choices and covenant decisions. But when our negative thoughts get involved, it can't lead to a positive life. Take away two. What you look for, you are going to find it guaranteed. If you're looking for it, you're going to find it. Allow me to explain. You are, you are in charge of what stays in your head. You are not in charge of what shows up in your head because you've got the world's fastest supercomputer inside your skull, and it's working 1,000 miles an hour. You can't even catch it. It's thinking all the time. And just like our muscles need a rest, your brain needs a rest, by the way. Do not violate the Sabbath. I didn't say that first service, but I feel like I need to say it now. Some of you guys are afraid and you're blaming your spouse or you're blaming your church and you just need to take a break, stop the rat race and turn off the phone. You need, you need to allow yourself time to heal so you can think clearly. But you and I aren't in control of what comes into our mind, but you sure are in control of if it stays there or not and if we entertain it or not. There's a, so write this down. It's not on the screen, but this is important. There's a difference between thinking and thinking about and you and I have allowed ourselves to think about things too often. What if, what if, what if? So you don't have to think about everything you feel, but you will feel everything you think about. Stanford professor Arnold Swicky called this the frequency illusion. And the frequency illusion is basically this. Once you've noticed something or noticed a phenomenon, you think it happens all the time. So people that move to Texas, they're like, your drivers are terrible. So all you see is terrible drivers. Or everybody's this way, or everybody's against me, everybody. You see it all the time. You're looking for it, so you find it. And it's made up of two things. It's selective attention and confirmation bias are the two pillars of the frequency illusion. Allow me to explain quickly. Think about the last time you bought a car. Everywhere after that, the number of those cars you were looking for on the road did not change, but you focused your attention on that particular car and your subconscious mind basically took it as a command to pay attention to that variable in your environment. So from there on after, voila, you see smart cars everywhere. Everybody's got a smart car. You've, made, you've set up... And politicians use this against us, by the way. This is how they get us to vote for them, is they're trying to get us to think everybody thinks like that. And so we're always trying to, to, to think through the weeds. And you and I have got a responsibility to do, don't we? To actually not look for that specific thing and see if our thoughts and feelings change. So selective attention causes us to believe it's there all the time. And the more you talk about things that are going bad in your life, the more you're going to see bad things in your life. You dwell on it, you feel like it multiplies. So then the confirmation bias kicks in. Once you flip the switch to the attention and the focus on that negative thing or whatever thing, you're gonna see it going on a lot around you. You're gonna see more of that which will confirm the bias to the negative. You're going to see more. It's, it's, like, it's like life is a courtroom and you're building case against your husband. I knew he didn't love me. His underwear were three inches from the pile two weeks ago. Now they're six inches. He has doubled his hatred of our marriage in two weeks. We're building a case. I don't know why we can't get our underwear in the hamper. It doesn't make sense. I don't know. It's just a thing. Love us through it. There's, there's something about the devil's like, I don't even have to try hard. I don't have to try to split these guys up. I'm just going to let them fight. 
I'm just going to let them deal with their own issues in their own way and watch them be impotent and sterile in their spiritual productivity. Thus, the seed of God dies with them. It's incredible how his game plan involves us more than it involves him or his demons. He can just get us to attack each other. So you and I get married and wait to get wounded. We join churches waiting to get wounded. We start jobs waiting to get wounded. And we walk around waiting to be hurt. We haven't given that part of our soul to God. We haven't given our emotions to God. Our soul is in control, not the spirit. And things are backwards and our body follows. Here's the interesting about the trying beings. When our spirit gets starved, it gets quiet. When our soul and our body get starved, they yell and they get loud. Like mine just did when I said Taco Bell. It just gets louder. You start feeling like, oh man, I am a little hungry. It starts to change. But when your spirit gets quiet, you feel like you can't hear God. We wait to get offended. We wait to get left out. We're not connected to God for identity, so we post a lot more. We feel like an outsider. We're looking for it. We're waiting on it to happen in our lives. And the last thing we're thinking about is making a difference with our life or letting our life speak because we're just trying to survive. And that only leads you to a deeper place of loneliness, negativity, and self-worthlessness. And some of you are there right now. As the band comes up, I want to tell you this, that I've been to this place that's pretty damaging. I've been at the place where my spirit man, my soul, this is the story of my life. This is the story of Landon's life. This is just how it's going to be. This is just how I am. I told you it was like that. I told you he was doing that to me. I told you he was looking. No, you and I, you and I are looking for the wrong thing. We're looking for love in all the wrong places. And it changes the dynamic of the relationship. But here's the good news, everybody. Exactly what the devil's trying to use to take you under is the very same thing that God's gonna use to bring you above it. Just like Haman built the gallows to hang Mordecai, Haman was hung on his own craftsmanship. The cross was meant by the devil to kill the effectiveness of Jesus and the church. What happened three days later? The Bible is full of stories where the devil was working overtime to try to defeat us, but then God comes and uses what the devil created to take us to the next level. And you may feel like because of what's happened in your life, you are not qualified to let your life speak. You feel like that divorce disqualifies you. Actually, let me tell you this. Because you've been divorced and have come to God and are allowing God to heal you, there are a lot of people, half of the people that you know have a great chance of having been divorced that need to heal how, you need to hear how you have started your healing journey. God will use anything and everything to make a difference in your world. You are not disqualified. Remember the story, the Banksy painting. This page, you remember, did you remember the page only went two-thirds of the way down? It got stuck. It got stuck, but the beeping continued. So they thought, they're rushing it out of the room, and they thought that it was still happening. But progress had stopped. And here's what I love about this. The, the artist Banksy thought he had won. But then an authenticator and a surveyor came to the new owner who is now 1.4 million in the hole for a broken painting. An authenticator came to him and said, no, 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 because of the story involved, the drama and the intrigue behind it, and how public it was, this painting is now worth over 10 million US dollars. How many know that's a happy day for that guy? Look, there's God at work. There's God at work. There's God at work. There's God at work. You can go to any church and find things wrong, but there's God at work. There's God at work in my pastor. There's God at work in my boss. There's God at work in my child. There's God. In the same way we can rewire our, our mental pathways, our spirit can be connected to God. Look for God everywhere around you. Your life will begin to speak when you begin to change the way you think. Positive thinking is not a replacement for God. It is a response to God. You and I can't worship and worry at the same time. It's impossible. It takes us time to learn that. 
But you need to know too that you can't be accidentally negative while you're being intentionally positive. You and I have to learn how to rewire. The last scripture we're gonna read today is Philippians 4. Keep your thoughts continually fixed on what is authentic, real, honorable, admirable, beautiful, respectful, pure, holy, merciful, and kind, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God. I've never scrolled through Facebook and felt better. I've never scrolled through, and I, don't have, I haven't had Facebook in two years. I still have an Instagram account. I just never post on it. But I, because I'm so ADD, I actually have a calendared moment where I spend 10 minutes looking at my Instagram. And so I actually scroll through. I'm like, God, oh, this was a waste of 10 minutes. I'm trying to find a way to get my 10 minutes back. And I'm wondering how many of us have given control over to culture to define us. And you and I feel like a shredded painting. But what's incredible about this is, is that God sees you as more valuable and God is taking what the devil meant to, to take you down to build a testimony to make you more effective. It's all about giving control over to God. So you have two next steps. The first one your pastors asked you and gave a wonderful uh, reason to do it is, is the unique accelerator. If you have not signed up for that yet, please sign up for it. Ryan actually called me and asked me to come, so I might see you there. There's something about that that's powerful, guys. And anything that your church and your pastor has provided to you, they know it's gonna help you. And the next thing is, is the connection, is getting connected, March 24th. Don't wait, don't wait to get connected to the church. Do it now, sign up now. Go to the website, sign up now. Get connected. You're gonna learn your, you're, when you get into unique and connection, you're gonna learn how you're wired and God's gonna use it to make a difference in the world. So let me say this to you. Moving forward out of this message, I pray that you've been stirred on the inside to find, to find the truth that your mind needs to be redeemed, to find the truth that the way you've been thinking has actually been leading you down a pretty negative path and that God is for you, not against you. And today you can receive that truth in your life. God wants to use you to let your life speak, but it starts in here. God always places high value on shredded people, and he's ready to take you to the next level. And I believe it started today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, everybody? I'm gonna ask two different people to respond to this. But first, let's pray. God, I completely trust you. We allow you, God, to examine our hearts and our minds. Lord, we laid bare before you today. God, would you bring clarity to our minds? Show us the areas of our thinking that are dragging us into patterns that are contrary to your purposes for us. God, we believe your promises and that you're for us, not against us. We believe that you're involved in our lives and that the hope and the legacy you've called us to is real. And we trust you, God. We recognize that how we think determines our serenity. And God, would you renew our minds today? We've given you our hearts. We've come to you, now would you renew our minds? We submit to your kingship, your will and your way. May our spirit stay aligned with yours. The first group of people I wanna ask, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you know that your thinking has kept you impotent, sterile and ineffective. And you're ready to change the way you think and you're ready to sign an eviction notice for the devil in your mind. If you know that today was stirring you to begin that process, I want you to raise your hand right now all across this room and keep it up. Come on, come on, come on. Wow, 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 wow. Keep your hands up. God, for every hand lifted, I pray right now that the power of the Holy Spirit come upon their life, that he will lead them, guide them, teach them and counsel them and give them power in Jesus' name. And when they leave here today, they'll be able to silence the voice of the devil. Their mind is being renewed in Jesus' mighty name. You slip your hands down. The second group of people, you have not yet received Jesus into your life. And I can't leave here today without giving you a chance to receive Jesus. We're not gonna call you down front or embarrass you at all. You're not joining LifeHouse. This is between you and God. So let me say to you, if you know that God doesn't have the top spot, we know biblically, does he have a spot at all? Does God have a spot? 
So you might be coming back to him today or you might be receiving him for the very first time. We won't call you down front or embarrass you. I just wanna know who I'm praying for. And I also believe that there needs to be an act of faith and response. And we're all gonna pray together and confess together, but this is the safest place in the world to say yes to Jesus on a Sunday morning. If you know you're ready to receive Jesus, I want you to put your hand up all across the room and join the two people in first service that said yes to Jesus today. Come on, brother, I see you right there. Proud of you, man. Proud of you, man. Who else? Who wants to join him today? Man, I'm proud of you guys. Okay, church, everybody out loud is gonna pray with me together as one big family. Say, dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I submit to your lordship. Thank you for your grace as you forgive me of my sins. I receive my identity as a child of God. Your word says that I'm a brand new creation. So I declare today that I'm a Christian and that I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, like you haven't done it all day, come on, give God the biggest praise you have.